Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, back with you on a Monday afternoon to talk about our guy, Alec Burks, as we continue our player review, or rather preview series. Alex, what are we getting into this time with Mr. Burks? Yeah, we're talking about a little bit of everything with Burks, you know, the contract that he signed this offseason, how we feel about it. Now that all the details are out, you know, as with all the contracts the Knicks handed out this offseason, there were some caveats that eventually made the contract look a lot better uh, with a little bit of time to sit on it. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about his comparison to Reggie Bullock. And, you know, since they roughly commanded the same price point, if we would have rather kept Bullock for his skill set or Burks for his we, I, I pulled up some stats, some interesting stuff off cleaning the glass. We're going to get into that and then try to project Burks' role going forward this year and figure out where he fits in in a suddenly very crowded guard and wing rotation for the Knicks. So all that's coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. Here he comes right now. You are locked on Knicks, and today's episode is brought to you by Mondays on Locked on NBA. Start your week with the latest NBA news and game recaps on Locked on NBA. Josh Lloyd, host of the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world, Locked on Fantasy Basketball, takes you around the NBA's major headlines with the help of our local experts. So follow the Locked on NBA podcast today or wherever you get podcasts. And I should note, I I don't think I ever mentioned this, I jumped on uh, Locked on Fantasy Basketball a week ago to give a Knicks-centric preview. So for anyone who missed that in the normal run of things, does not follow my retweets, which I'm highly offended if you don't. Uh, go check that out. Go follow Locked on NBA. Check out a full Knicks fantasy basketball preview as we approach that season. And Alex, we approach the big regular season. I should have introduced both of us, by the way. I'm Gavin Shaw, a resumed play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website out there. And now, Alex, we can finally get into it with your namesake, Alec Burks. I actually think you guys are about the same age, so it'd be weird if you were named after him. And it's also spelled differently. But that's neither here nor there. Um, he re-signed with the New York Knicks this offseason. We initially thought it was a three straight-up three-year contract worth a bit over $30 million. In reality, as we found out with many of the Knicks uh, re-signees, it was a two-year contract with a team option for the third year. The first two years add up to about $19.5 million. The third year is worth about $10.5 million if the Knicks choose to take him back for that 2023-2024 season. So this was a deal that in the moment, I think I maybe got caught up a little bit in the general malaise I was feeling about the Knicks offseason the whole. And I, I went on um, our, our Lockdown NBA live show and I was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I guess I'm kind of neutral about it. Like, I don't think it's, it's definitely not a terrible deal. Like, it's the kind of thing he could get from a lot of different teams. But there's also a reason this guy has, has bounced around so much. Like, nobody's really considered him a totally invaluable asset to the point that they wouldn't just keep him and, and, and make him a part of their specific future. But as I, as I sort of dove in and reflected on his past season, I, I've, I've sort of come around to the idea that this is a pretty good deal for the Knicks. Just thinking back to a season ago, Alex, where he was, I mean, where we saw guys like Davis Bertans getting 
monster, monster deals because they were elite, elite three-point shooters. And to be clear, Burks is not that level of shooter. But on decent volume, we're talking about a guy who shot 41.5% from three and isn't going to have the same self-creation responsibilities this year. So he does sort of feel like, at the very least, and we know he can do more. I mean, you, you look at that game one against the Hawks, he can explode for more. But at the very least, you get a really dynamic shooter off the bench if you're the New York Knicks at a pretty reasonable price. Yeah, and you know it should be noted too. He's only really been shooting threes on volume for about three years now. Uh, he, I mean, you could even argue that eighteen, nineteen, he didn't really, and because uh, he shot thirty six point three percent on two point six attempts with it should be noted three different teams in eighteen, nineteen. He got traded twice that year. Uh, then shot thirty eight and a half percent. Uh, in 1920 with two different teams, with Golden State and Philly, on 4.6 attempts per game. So that's that's solid volume. And then last year, as you noted, shot 41.5% on five attempts per game. So, I mean, I, I think that that is bordering. I mean, if not elite, like when you look at how his diet is compared to a guy like Bertans, where Bertans is mostly doing, you know, spot-up shots and things like that, he's not really creating for himself. Burks, so many of them are step-backs and you know, cross-ups leading to, you know, a sidestep three or whatever the case may be. I mean, he is the type of guy that you can just kind of give him the ball and say, figure it out. And he'll find a way to get a shot, whether it's a three, whether it's from mid-range, you know, whatever the case may be, he's, as you might say, a bucket getter. Um, so I, I think that there is a lot of value in his archetype. I should also note, fun story, you mentioned namesake, uh, Alec versus Alex. I do have one person that calls me Alec consistently, my wife's aunt for whatever reason, literally since like we've been, we started dating kind of like 12 years ago now. And uh, <laughs> she has literally called me Alec from day one and it's never changed. So I think like literally on our wedding night, she was still saying like, Oh, Hey Alec, how you doing? Whatever. So, you know, maybe Alec Burks and I do spell it the same way, at least in an, in an alternate universe. Somewhere. Do, you, do you like correct that? Or you just, you just let it go on at this point? I corrected it the first few times and now I just let it go <laughs> at this point. It's like, why bother? <laughs> <laughs> I guess an yeah, yeah uh, you know it's close enough it's good enough but anyway um fun anecdote aside I mean yeah it, looking at Burks's contract now and everything I feel really good about it I mean I think that the Knicks managed to secure a guy that can really do a lot of things that are useful on an NBA team especially one with with you know aspirations of something better you know you look around the league and like I'm not saying that he's on the level of these type of guys, but um, you know, like Lou Williams, for example, has always found NBA work and, you know, he's, he's pretty much just a perimeter shooter uh, and who can play make a tiny bit, which we saw Burks able to play make a little bit. And, you know, Lou Williams is just really good at creating his own shot, shooting threes, shooting mid range shots. And that's basically exactly what Burks does, except for Burks is a little bit bigger and, you know, I think in some cases has been a little more efficient recently, even if he hasn't been trusted with the sort of six man of the year level workload that Lou Williams was often tasked with, especially with those Clippers teams. But like, you know, I think that I think that it's a really useful NBA archetype at this point, and one that is becoming more and more likely to be paid. You know what I mean? I think that we're going to see guys that can do what Burks can do, getting the same money or better than what Burks got you know, in the next few years. And we sort of are already seeing that happen with some of the contracts that have been handed out over the last few years. So I, I feel great about the the value that they got for him. And 
I'm re- I, mostly I'm just intrigued to see how his role shakes out and how the minutes shake out this year with all the different additions that the Knicks made, which is mostly to say Kemba Walker and and uh, Evan Fournier. I mean, those guys presume to take up a ton of minutes, uh, which will limit how much Burks can get there. And then, you know, drafting Deuce McBride and Quentin Grimes, you have Emmanuel quickly coming into his second year who uh, it seems like the Knicks probably have very big plans for as they should, because he's a, he's a great player. Um, you know, there's just a lot to, a lot to think about with Burks, which we could probably get into in the next segment. Uh, but Gavin, I think maybe before we do that, you should let, uh, I should let everybody know, uh, where they can go if they need some sweat relief. And that's of course, sweat block. And I've been, I'm a sweat block believer at this point. I don't, (laughs) I don't know what it is with me in really hot weddings this year, but I had to go to a uh, a wedding this past weekend that was outside, and despite the fact that it, it cooled off nicely as the day went on, uh, there was a ceremony at about three in the afternoon, and the sun—I don't know how—I I always thought it reached its apex more around noon, but it was like it was like high noon out there. The sun was at its what felt like its apex. It was beating down on us. It temperature gauge said eighty-five. It felt like it was probably ninety-five. Uh, and I was, you know, my head was sweating, my back was sweating. It was, uh, you know, everybody was sweating. I was not alone just as I was at the last super hot wedding I went to, but I tell you what was not sweating was my pits. And that's because I used sweat block wipes. Sweat block wipes are fantastic. They're doctor created, doctor recommended. They work for up to seven days per use and they come with a dry shirt guarantee. If sweat block doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. They're so easy to apply. You just put them on the night before, just dab it onto your underarms, uh, you know, liberally apply it down there. And then in the morning, wash off the excess in the shower and you're good to go. And then your pits literally don't sweat for like the whole week. It's It's been wild. I, I've i always been a sweaty person. I've always been so self-conscious about what I wear, whether it's going to show sweat and all that stuff. And since I've been using sweat block, I never have to worry about that anymore. Uh, it's it's just a fantastic product that's really been pretty life-altering for me, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, so if you want to get some for yourself, get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code locked on, or you can check it out at Amazon or CVS. And this episode is also brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends logging for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without all that hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. And with that, we are back on the Locked On Knicks podcast to talk a little bit more about Alec Burks. And, and you were hinting at it, Alex. I think it's I think it's a fascinating question going into this year, one that will probably be proven out pretty quickly, whether the Knicks made the right decision picking Burks over Reggie Bullock. And that's, that's a little bit of presumption on my part because maybe maybe I missed it. I didn't see the reporting that Bullock um, necessarily wanted to come back or, or even would have picked the Knicks over the Mavericks for the same contract. But 
when, when Burks and Bullock did essentially get the same deal, I'm actually, I should have looked it up before. I'm not sure if uh, Bullock's contract has that same third year option in it. Um, I think it's a fascinating comparison to make and it's a fascinating choice to make because I know Alex, you, you and I would even go back and forth last year and vacillate quite a bit on which one we thought was the more valuable player for the Knicks. And obviously two guys who in some ways brought very similar skill sets and offensive offensively, but overall we're, we're pretty distinctly different players And Burks being a pretty multifaceted guy offensively, obviously a high level shooter, maybe just a notch below uh, Bullock in that category, but you can argue in some ways even better in that he could create his own three off the dribble. And then obviously a lot more dynamism, dynamism, is that the right word? Anyways, um, he is a lot more dynamic. That's easier off the dribble than Bullock was a much better passer. Um, even though he wasn't a great finisher, he, he was better at getting to the rim and at least presented a threat in, in that aspect of the game. Defensively, Bullock was much, much better, and they're not really very comparable. So I think it's interesting, given what we expect the structure of the Knicks bench unit to be, that the Knicks ultimately pick Burks, right? Because you're, ha- you're going to have all this creation from Derrick Rose, who, who isn't going to be forced to play heavy minutes with the starters anymore with the presence of Kemba Walker. You're going to have Emmanuel quickly, presumably a year better. You're going to have Obi Toppin, who can uh, shoot it a little bit more. Um, probably isn't going to be great off the dribble. Like you're never at the end of a shot clock, you're never going to throw it to Obi and say, create something. Or if you are, things have gone incredibly well in a, in a pretty magical way. Um, but he, he's going to be a little bit better in that regard. And then, and then you'll have Nerlens Noel, who will basically just be Nerlens Noel. So you can make an argument and say, you know, with quickly and, and Obi, even though he's decent out there, I'd rather just have like a lockdown defense with my bench unit, like throw Reggie Bullock in there. And I'm trusting that Rosen quickly can basically handle all the shot creation. Instead, they, they tip their hand a little bit harder in the direction of, we want everyone who touches the ball to be able to do something and to be able to attack a closeout and to be able to hit threes and to be able to, to attack the rim and then make the next pass. And obviously Bullock can hit threes. He can't really attack the rim and make the next pass or, or he can't do it at nearly the frequency or effectiveness that Alec Burks can. Um, and I find that I find that a fascinating trade-off. And I think it was a decision made with an eye towards the postseason, given what we saw from Bullock last year. And look, but most bench units obviously aren't gonna they're not gonna game plan the same way they did the Hawks sit around Bullock in the starting lineup. Like I I, I doubt even even in the postseason. And maybe there would be a little bit, but just because bench players are worse, like I think there would be a little bit less of like, oh, just leave Bullock on an island and and um, like challenge him to, to beat us or like hide our worst defender on him uh, because maybe he could take advantage of the bench version of that guy. I don't know. But I, I think it's interesting that the Knicks made that deal because in some ways I think it might make them a little bit worse in the regular season to have that drop off defensively. But I, I think it could make them all the more unstoppable in the playoffs and, and lead to a bench unit that can basically name their number offensively against any opposing team. Yeah, I feel kind of similar. I guess my so it's not even really a counterpoint. It's basically agreeing and supporting, right? I I, I kind of I don't like that we continually go back to the Hawks series like over and over and over because I feel like that shouldn't be a microcosm of the entire season. But unfortunately, it was the most memorable thing to happen uh, in last year's season. Like as far as the thing that's been sticking in my mind all summer, because all you know, all I think about, I'm sure all you can think about, all most Knicks fans can think about, is like. What went wrong in that series and how do they make it better? Because I don't want to go through that again where the Knicks just get absolutely like washed in the playoffs again and get completely schemed away. And so I guess the the thing would be, right, when we're talking about the skill sets between Burks and Bullock, yeah, Burks gives you the the creation. He gives you the shot making. He can he can make his own shot from anywhere on the floor. You know, he can 
he can, you know, just have a guy on him and break him down off the dribble and find at least a somewhat decent, like mid range shot to take and, you know, have a pretty decent shot of making it because he's just, he's a good shooter, especially when he's on, you know, he does have his moments of being kind of hot and cold, but by and large, I would say he was pretty consistent. I mean, you can't be, you can't be a hot and cold shooter and end up shooting 41 and a half percent from three in a year on five attempts. That's just, that's not the case. You know, it's not like he was shooting a hundred percent one game and zero percent the next. He, he had a pretty good, you know, median outcome there. Um, and then, you know, when you talk about the defense, I think the thing with Burks versus Bullock, yes, Bullock is a better defender. He was, a, you know, a better team defender, a better one-on-one defender than Burks. But I think that Burks was credible enough as a defender, kind of like what we talk about with Fournier, with, you know, Fournier is going to give you so much more than what Bullock was in that starting lineup on offense. And he's a credible enough defender on the other side that you're, he's not going to be actively giving up tons and tons and tons of points, regardless of what people want to say, again, based off one playoff series with uh, the Nets, uh, you know, targeting him in the Celtics series, you know, yeah, you can say that that was the case, but the the reality is that Fournier was with a team that he had only been with for all of like 20 games prior to the postseason. I mean, I'm sure there were plenty of miscommunications happening. And yeah, if, if someone gets matched up against Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant, it's probably not going to go super well for them on defense. And you have to have a support system behind them to team defend that person. And I guess that sort of brings me to the next thing, which was I was going to say, especially in the playoffs, I think we realized, you know, even with Bullock on him, Trey Young is going to get his points. You know, Bullock is a great individual defender. He's a really good team defender. He was much longer than Trey Young. You know, in theory, he should be able to lock Trey Young up, right? But certain players in the NBA, are just so good that you can't lock them up because on top of being able to make tough shots and create tough looks and everything else, they also get the benefit of the doubt on foul calls and things of that nature. And that's just the nature of the league. And, you know, the the foul calls went down a little bit for Trey as the postseason went on, but it still existed. There was still, you know, Trey Young was still getting foul calls, you know, and Bullock was on the receiving end of some of those. So that's the biggest thing with Bullock to Burks for me is that, you know, with – and again, you know, Burks isn't even being asked to start. So this is, you know, it's even more kind of, I guess Bullock would have been coming off the bench too, in theory. But I think that I value what Burks brings off the bench more than what I, more than how I would value it if Bullock was coming off the bench. Because, you know, on offense, Burks will allow you to take advantage of a bad defender like a Trey Young if the opposing team tries to strand him on, you know, Burks and, and say, okay, well, if you want to, if you want to punish us on offense, Alec Burks is going to have to beat Trey Young. That doesn't sound like too hard of a proposition. Not at all like when it was, okay, Reggie Bullock has to now beat Trey Young off the dribble and we're going to strand him on an island. That felt like an impossible task. And, you know, for as bad of a defender as Trey Young was or is, you know, Bullock wasn't able to do really anything with that matchup. And then on the defensive end, you just have to consider, you know, is the drop off from, from Bullock to Burks in terms of guarding, say, like a star player like a Trey Young, that big of a deal? And is it really that big of a deal when now you should have presumably a brick wall at the center spot pretty much every single minute of time on the floor? Because if the Knicks can stay healthy, which of course is a big if, and you know if things work out the way we think they're going to, they should have you know Mitchell Robinson out there for most of the game. They should have Nerlens Noel out there for any time that Mitch isn't out there. 
And if one of them has to miss some time, you have Taj Gibson, who proved extremely capable of walling off the paint last year. So I just I think that based off skill set and what they bring to the floor and what they specifically bring to this Knicks team, I, I think the betting on the the guy who can create his own shot and can shoot credibly, you know, in multiple different ways, not just, you know, coming off a screen or you know, spotting up, he, you know, Burks can do those things. And we saw him spot up last year, plenty too, but he can also get the ball at the top of the key, sauce somebody up and make a three from there that way too, which Bullock can never do. I I think that that skill set, maybe even during the regular season too, is, is going to be more valuable as long as the Knicks can establish a, a good defense otherwise, which I feel pretty confident they'll be able to, because, you know, pretty much any time out there, this year, the the three through five should be a, a pretty good defenders, and I mean Burks, I think did better defending threes than twos, also, because he's pretty big for like a shooting guard, so he can kind of hold his own, it's similar to how RJ does. But you know, RJ I think is a borderline great defender uh, at times, so I, I don't want to put him in the same class, but similar thoughts as far as their ability to handle that, you know, three matchup versus the two, and. You know, so with that bench unit, you should then have Obi, who's been a, a pretty credible defender at the four throughout his career thus far. You know, what we saw last year in Summer League. And then Noel or Taj manning the middle, you know, along with especially on the bench unit, the Burks will be playing with Quickly and Rose up front, who proved like really, really pesky. I, I think that it should be a, a pretty easy choice, you know, to go with Burks over Bullock in that case because of what he brings to the floor. But. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have any uh, final points on that to bring us home for the second part here? Yeah, I was going to say quickly, it's something I just thought of, but I, I think maybe the Knicks took this into account. The idea that Bullock might not be as good separated from Julius Randle as he was with Julius Randle. Like we, we saw those two develop just a, a real innate chemistry and, and feel for where each other was going to be on the court and Randall multiple times throughout the year would just throw these blind like against the grain hook passes like knowing Bullock was going to be on one wing or the other and while Rose was a great sort of multiplier of talent this year and I think he had a similar effect um, with the rookies like particularly like IQ and OB um, I think there was something special about Randall and Bullock in particular Randall's size and ability to throw these like cross-court just dimes and Bullock basically he, he needed that margin for error of a fast accurate pass just because he's not that off the dribble threat and defenders can close really really hard on him knowing that he's not going to blow by and make something happen so I think the idea that Bullock was inevitably unless unless the Knicks for some reason decided to instead use RJ off the bench and they brought Bullock back as a starter um, the Knicks inevitably were going to get a lot less time with those two on the court together so I think possibly that could have been something I took into account and the fact that um, Bullock in some ways had a career stretch during the second half run of, of last year and Burks while he shot one, one of the better marks in his career um, I wouldn't necessarily say he played above his talent level but anyways let, let's get into some stats that back that up after this break Alex why don't you tell us about our newest sponsor in the fantasy sports realm yeah, and I tell you what, I'm super excited about this. Uh, I'm not going to be talking about the fantasy football aspect, but Sleeper is who is sponsoring our episode today, and I've used them for my fantasy football league for the last three seasons now. Fantastic app, and let me tell you about the new things that they're bringing into the fold here. 
In 2018, the fantasy sports experts at Sleeper realized that fantasy basketball was broken. Games were being won and lost based on whose players had more scheduled games that week. It made no sense and required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball, and it's called Game Pick, and it's only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count towards their team's total score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. So some highlights of this, this new way of playing fantasy basketball. The days of losing because your opponent's players simply had more scheduled games to play in that week are over. The days of mindless daily busy work are over. Thank goodness I can't stand that about fantasy basketball. The days of giving up halfway through the season because of that busy work are also over. In game picks, you pick one game per week for each player based on player matchups, home versus away, opponent's defensive rating, pace of play, and much more. And all that adds up to more strategy and less busy work. Whether you prefer Redraft, Keeper, or Dynasty, Game Picks has you covered. Sleeper has cracked the fantasy basketball code. And if you play fantasy football, like me, if you prefer building out a weekly strategy versus daily busy work, you're going to love Game Picks. Download the Sleeper app and start a league with your friends today. You will not be disappointed. And this episode is also brought to you by one of our all-time favorites in Theragun. Don't let the stress of daily life Way on your body, whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help you. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of pain by releasing tension using Theragun Signature Percussive Therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, an injury, or just the stresses of everyday life, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. Again, I, I mentioned my, my girlfriend back in April got me the Theragun as a birthday present. I am loving it. I got a lot more into working out over the summer. You, you wouldn't believe it based on seeing me, but it's true. I've been, I've been going to the gym four or five days a week. And Theragun, I find, is an absolute lifesaver. If I forget to use it, I wake up in the morning feeling noticeably sore than I would otherwise. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, and me. So try Theragun for 30 days starting at $199. Go to theragun.com slash lockdown right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's Theragun, uh, excuse me, that's therabody.com slash lockdown, therabody.com slash locked on. And we are back on Locked On Nick's third and final segment. Alex, I won't waste time pontificating. I'm going to throw it directly over to you because you you did a deep dive on, on all the stats that sort of sum up the season that was for Alec Burks. And I think they, they paint an interesting picture and one. Um, especially in terms of his at-the-rim finishing, which in my mind he, he, was, he was very, very good at. Um, do not necessarily jive with everything I thought about him as a player and present sort of an interesting profile of someone who can be a, a very efficient, as we keep saying, off-the-bench option for the Knicks. Yeah, I, so like, I, I think that, you know, the the numbers paint a pretty... I, it's like, it's weird because it, they paint an interesting picture, but also the exact picture that you probably figured that they would paint. Um, so just, I'm just going to throw a few numbers out there and I did most of this work on cleaning the glass. Actually, I think I pretty much did all this work on cleaning the glass. They have a really great website. If you've never been on it, it's not super expensive for a yearly subscription and they have just so many useful stats for helping you figure out where players stack up versus other players in the league. 
so of course I'm going to mention in this percentile ranks. And so the higher the percentile, the better, uh, in the case of, of these stats. So, you know, you want to be certain stats, it's better to have, you know, a high percentage or a low percentage, whatever. In this case, I think all the stats, cause I'm going to be talking about, uh, the amount that Burks made shots and the amount that he took them in both cases, we're talking about higher percentage numbers means higher percentile numbers in this case. Uh, so let's first talk about the mid range. Uh, Burks was 83rd percentile in mid range shot frequency among wings. Uh, so this is all sorted out on cleaning the glass. They sort everybody into the, the buckets of guards, wings and bigs. So all these stats are Burks in relation to other wings in the league. So he was 83rd percentile in mid-range shot frequency at 34%. That means 34% of his shots were from the mid-range. But he was also 56th percentile in conversion, which uh, he shot 39% from the mid-range. So in all of his shooting categories from long long mid-range to all threes, he finished above the 50th percentile, meaning he literally is not below average at any shot on the court uh, that comes from the mid range or beyond. And he also was 48th percentile for short mid range. So very close, uh, as far as that's concerned as well. So that tells you a lot. I mean, that means that Burks, no matter what, no matter where he's taking a shot from, as long as it's not at the rim, he is above average or at the very least average because 50th percentile would suggest, you know, that's league average. Uh, he is though, you know, pretty bad at the rim. He shot in the ninth percentile at the rim. He made, just 48% of his shots. But he also kind of knows his game. He was 29th percentile in his percentage of attempts at the rim uh, at 21%. So, you know, that means only one out of five shots is he trying to get to the rim. A lot of those I feel like were on cuts as well, uh, or maybe even in transition. So he's not often trying to, like, break a guy down on the perimeter and get to the rim because he just kind of understands that's not really his strength. So I actually don't have a huge problem with his percentile rank for conversion being that low when his percentile rank for attempts is also pretty low. Um, And, you know, I started thinking about it. And the one guy, Gavin, that I know you and I both kind of went to a number of times as far as like a comparison for Burks and a number of other people did as well was J.R. Smith, because we're super familiar with J.R. Smith and how his game was. He was very much a, you know, he could create his own shot on the perimeter he would take some occasionally very ill-fated attempts on the perimeter. He also took a lot of mid-range. And Burks and J.R. Smith compare pretty favorably uh, to each other, or I guess pretty similarly. I, I guess favorable is up to you whether you think it's it's favorable or not. But like, for example, in J.R.'s uh, 2012 to 13 year uh, with the Knicks, he took only 24% of his attempts at the rim. Uh, which is like super low. Um, And, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to see the difference between the two of them and, you know, how that, like, so back, sorry, I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but back then I just found this so interesting. JR took 24% of his attempts at the rim as a wing, and that put him at the 44th percentile. Then, as I just said, Burks took 21% of his attempts at the rim this past year, and that put him in the 29th percentile. So I think that, I mean, I guess there is a 3% difference there, but I think that kind of underscores how the NBA has changed in the fact that everything now is about like get to the rim or shoot the three and don't worry about the mid range too much. But JR also, you know, when he was with the Knicks that year, he had a pretty high uh, mid range 
attempt percentage as well. Uh, he's, he scored in like the 61st to 78th percentile and all those also took a good amount of threes, which I think bore itself out. So I think there really is, there's, there is a valid comparison between Burks and J.R. Smith and the way that they approach the game, except for, I think that Burks probably would never not realize how much time is on the clock in an NBA finals game um, and make that sort of decision like JR did. Uh, so, you know, basically it is to say, I think that as much as I know that this is sort of a, uh, sort of a polarizing term, but I think that the basketball IQ between the two, I, I think definitely leans in favor of Burks, despite having a similar skill set. although he, he obviously is not as bouncy as JR was. I mean, JR could, could throw down some incredible dunks as we saw in his time with the Knicks. Um, but yeah, I basically that is to say, Gavin, I, I think that I've already kind of made this point, and I guess the stats just kind of hammer it home. I really like that Burks gives the Knicks perimeter creation. And, you know, I, I talked a lot last year, and I still believe this, you know, about how much I liked the fact that the Knicks had, uh, you know, 48 minutes of rim protection with Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel. And I do think that there are benefits to having bench players that can play a similar style to your to your starters, because then it makes it easier to interchange guys. You know, if you want to have some mixed lineups where hopefully Tibbs gets away a little bit from the whole like platoon swap thing this year, where he's not kind of just doing like almost full swaps of starters for bench all the time and getting a full, full new five man unit in there. You know, if you have Alec Burks that can do a lot of the same things that Evan Fournier can do now your team can play the same way no matter who's on the floor. And, you know, so if you sub in Burks for Fournier in your first round of subs, you can leave your starters in for a little bit and still expect basically the same thing out of Burks, but at, a, you know, obviously a lesser level because, you know, one guy's making 20 million, the other's making 10 for a reason. But, you know, you can expect some good production out of Burks and a similar play style to what Fournier is going to give you. Uh, you could sort of, I guess, say the same for RJ as well. Uh, although RJ was more about spot-ups last year and also is better at getting to the rim and I think drawing contact at the rim and stuff like that. But, you know, you can you could put in Burks for RJ as well and have like a reasonable imitation of what RJ was giving you, but actually with more shot creation, uh, if not quite as good on defense and not quite as good at getting to the rim. So I, I just like what Burks gives in, in that respect, especially with the backing up Fournier. Now, the funny part is, is that I don't know how often he's actually going to be backing up Fournier directly because it, it seems to me like his role is probably, we talked about this when we did our minutes distribution episode. I feel like he's mostly going to find his minutes at the backup three. I, I don't see too many situations where he's going to be out there as the nominal two guard, despite that kind of being more his position anyway. But Gavin, that was a lot of, a lot of stuff to get through. Um, do you have any thoughts on all those stats and the pontificating at the end there just about Burks going into this year and what his role is going to be. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's sort of where I wanted to wrap up. I'm ultimately, I'm curious to how he fits with Emmanuel quickly and Derek Rose, because not, not that that was um, always like the lineup, just because those three guys were only healthy simultaneously. And, in so many games this year, maybe maybe I'm misremembering and they played more minutes together. But in my mind, we we didn't get a super large sample size of those three. And I, I do think at points, and I remember specific games where it felt like a little bit of an awkward fit because all, all three of those guys sort of wanted the ball in their hands. Um, but I mean, to the point that you made, um, 
I, I think there was a stat from last year that I, I can't remember if you if you mentioned this or not, but sixty eight and a half percent of Burks's threes were assisted last season. Um, for the first three years of his career, this was actually from a Nick's Wall article. Um, at least eighty two percent of his threes were assisted. So I, I think that trade off is going to be interesting. Like Burks is someone who's turned himself again into a legitimately talented off the dribble three point shooter. Is he okay scaling that back a little bit to sort of let Rose and quickly cook? Um, or will there be situations where where one of Rose or Kemba's out, and all of a sudden Burks is the primary guard in, in the backup unit? And I think that flexibility is why the Knicks wanted him back for the next two seasons because he gives them that that bit of insurance on top of Emmanuel quickly on top of Miles McBride. You have another guy who can handle the ball. You have another guy who can shoot. And unlike quickly and McBride, a guy who brings a little bit of size to to being um, like a nominal one or, or or sort of a combo guard depending on the lineup. But when everyone is healthy, that, that's sort of what I'm most fascinated about. Can Burks slot into that spot? Is quickly comfortable sort of subjugating his game, like when Burks is really feeling it? And we've seen that Burks on, on basically the highest level of basketball there is in the playoffs. Like, like what was what, what were the stats when he was against the Hawks? He, he scored 27 points on 13 shots in that game. He had like 18 of the Knicks 30 points in the first 11 minutes of the fourth quarter. I think he missed a total of two shots. This is a guy who can, like, when he gets going, he can be pretty effective against the best defenses in the world going as hard as they possibly can to stop him. So I'm just curious where all those pieces fit together and, and how they find their chemistry and whether they can find the right balance of, of shooting versus passing versus driving. Um, I, I'm just I'm fascinated at the dynamic of those three guys. And then again, if someone like Obi Toppin wants to take another step this year, where does he fit into that mix? And I think it's all a good problem to have, but also one that sort of has to be solved as we start the season. Yeah, I I think so too. You know, I we're going to be having endless discussions between now and the first preseason game, and then probably even after the first preseason game, and probably spilling into the season about how all these guys are going to fit in, how they're all going to be able to get enough minutes to utilize their skill sets and everything else. And I think Burks is definitely one of the more uh, prominent cases of that, where he's going to be, it, it's going to be tough to to figure things out with him because he's clearly very talented. And as you said, he has the ability to potentially win you a playoff game um, pretty much all by his lonesome in, in on his best nights, you know, and he, we saw him win the Knicks a number of regular season games on his best nights too. But on a team that just infused the amount of talent that they did and has all the returning players that they do, uh, you know, quickly you want to find minutes for, because I think the team really views him as something special as they should. Um, you know, you, you want to give Evan Fournier full starters minutes because that's what you signed him for. Same with Kemba Walker. You have Derek Rose there as well. You know, you have Quentin Grimes who you just drafted, who maybe you want to find a minute or two for here and there. Of course, there's RJ Barrett already in place who, you know, was like, for a large swath of last year and like top four or five in minutes. And I think still finished top 10 uh, by the end of the year, he's definitely going to have a huge role if he makes some of the strides we think he can make. So, you know, Burks is maybe more so than anybody. I would say Burks and quickly are probably the two guys that I'm most intrigued to see how they're going to get minutes this year. And who's, I hate to make it a competition between the two of them because I don't even think they really play the same position, but I think they're going to have similar fights for minutes and might even be fighting for each other's minutes at times. I'm just really curious how it's all going to play out. But we've got plenty more episodes to discuss all that and to figure this whole thing out. But for now, I think we can wrap up this episode on Alec Burks. 
if you want to uh, listen for more, we're definitely going to have more of these coming up in the in the next few weeks. We also did one uh, our preview or our our debut one uh, last week with some of the other guys on the roster. Uh, we'll have more coming up here soon. We also, all right, two announcements. One, we're probably going to try to do a Frank Nilakina send-off. I know we haven't really uh, addressed him signing with the Mavs yet, and we were obviously, you know, Gavin and I were well on record with being big Frank Nilakina fans. So, you know, if you want to wait around for that, we're, we're, we didn't forget about Frank. We just kind of want to do him justice and give him a good send-off. We're going to try to bring on uh, a guest uh, that we think will be good for that. And then uh, we also should announce, too, we are going to be making the move to YouTube soon. So if you enjoy watching podcasts while you listen to them, we'll be doing that soon. Keep an eye out for that uh, sometime before the season starts. We'll make that transition and we'll be doing videos as well on YouTube. Uh, I think if you search for Locked on Knicks on YouTube, you can already subscribe to us as well. And... uh, you know, just kind of get ready so you'll be notified when we go live on there. So all that's coming up. Lots of exciting things. Lots more player previews to come. But uh, until next time, this has been Locked On Knicks. And we will talk to you guys all soon. Peace out.